Russell, who in Los Angeles, she's a strange woman. Um, when I said you meet interesting people, she was interesting, but not interesting in the real sense that I mean, you know, worthy of imitation. But she intuitively or however got some things right. And she was the first to talk about a Dallas-Watergate connection. I've been on a panel with her which somebody didn't want that panel to happen because it was on a very cold night in Boston in January of 1975, and somebody put a glue in the locks to the auditorium where we were supposed to meet, and an audience had to wait in uh, sub-zero weather for over an hour before we could get in. And then we got in, and we all did our spiels, and I think... Groden was there and talked about the Zapruder film, and May Brussel was there, and she said, here are the 10 people who really caused the assassination, and she named 10 names, which probably most people in the room had never heard before, but I had heard them, and I just thought she was off the wall. She, was, she, she wasn't right. But she was right that there was a Dallas-Watergate connection. In my case... I was aware of it because I had the original manuscript for the war conspiracy of 1972, which is not the war conspiracy that's for sale today because that involves matters about uh, things that have happened much more recently. But in the chapters about the Kennedy assassination, which the press said, take that out, make it a different book. So I made it a different book called The Dallas Conspiracy, which was never published, but it's been quite often quoted in books that were published. I mentioned a man, I called him Frank Fiorini in my version. And in that same week, there was a front page story on the New York Times, I think it was June 21st, 1972, that there had been a burglary in Watergate and it published names and photographs of the burglars. And one of them was the man that I had written about in my Dallas conspiracy, Frank Sturgis. I mean, I called him Frank Fiorini, but there he was. I think they said in the article that he was, I knew in any case that Frank Sturgis was Frank Fiorini. So it was an overlap of personnel. And then later when I got more interested in the Doomsday Network, and I read that James McCord, who was obviously the lead burglar and the lead plotter in many ways, was also part of a unit which was charged with rounding up people in the case of implementation of continuity of government. So he was part of the Doomsday Network. So you have somebody part of the Doomsday Network in Watergate, just like Jack Crichton was a very peripheral part of the Doomsday Network in 1963. So I got going, and I have a whole unpublished essay, and I'm not in a hurry to see it. That maybe someday, uh, Aaron, you can help me publish it. But meanwhile, I need to fine-tune it a bit more. So anyway, that, I think that's enough to give you an indication of how I became interested and, of course, the more time has gone on, the more the Doomsday Network connection. But that would be a Watergate episode. I don't think I want to say more now. I have pondered whether we should talk about Watergate. And it's so 
Byzantine that it's that may be a bit much. But I would like to I don't disbelieve you about May Brussel coming up with that first, but I do notice that November seventy three, that was when your Ramparts article came out. Yes. Uh, from Dallas to Watergate, the longest cover up. And you go into Sturgis and his connections to Miami, other Miami people, some connected to the Cuban exile movement, and how they were involved on the day of the assassination and, and the immediate aftermath in efforts to link Oswald to Castro, which yes. were kind of squashed. That's why Fiorini was in. First of all, saying that Oswald had been in Miami, and he wasn't alone in saying that. Many people said it. You know, you get subplots of people trying to establish one thing that is relevant to the bigger plot, and uh, that was Fiorini. By the way, uh, Fiorini, Sturgis, was also somebody who was charged by the plumbers to beat up Daniel Ellsberg. And I think that Dan actually maybe spoke, he spoke to somebody, one of them, if it was not Sturgis, one of the others, who said, our instructions were to beat you up so that you could not communicate, but we understood that we were to kill you. And then for some reason, it didn't happen. Something intervened. They didn't touch him, actually. But uh, Sturgis could have been, if he'd, if he'd murdered Ellsberg, he would have become a much more significant figure than, in fact, he was. He's often called a mob figure. That's, that's a bit inaccurate. And he's often called an intelligence operative. There was a lot of money to be made in Cuba by black market activities when Castro took over, and he was one of the people who was involved in that kind of demimonde. He was in a demimonde, but he wasn't organized crime, and he wasn't organized intelligence. But he's an interesting figure. McCord is another one because he was very involved with the American Legion um, a man at the American Legion called Pennington, who ran a that huge private intelligence archive on left-wingers. And if companies wanted to hire somebody, they would run this by him to find out if they'd be sure he had never done union organization or anything like that. It was part of the corrupt underworld to our supposedly democratic society. And McCord was a part of that world, besides being CIA or ex-CIA. That was just an excerpt from the American Exception podcast. To hear the whole episode, as well as archived and new episodes, please subscribe to the American Exception podcast at Patreon. There's a link in the show notes, or you can just go to patreon.com slash American Exception. Subscribe and you can join us as we illuminate the dark side of the U.S. empire.